1: Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who would be more motivated to work out if stationary bikes had a little
0: basket to hold his snacks and beer. (laughs) Ain't that the damn truth. That'd be cool. It would be cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just a beer holder on your bike.
0: Just take the pedals off. That way I can sit there and drink the beer and eat the snacks and watch TV.
1: Yeah.
0: Kind of like I do anyway. Yeah, I need to get my fat ass back in the gym, so I need to do (laughs) what's going on dude it's not motivation monday <laughs> not motivation monday same, same old same old man it's raining like hell yeah same old same old recording day yeah dreary jay hey yeah, we're, we're not at work
1: no we're not working we're recording an episode for you guys fun 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 yep we don't have any shout outs tonight but we've got something really special going on
0: yes yeah we, we do pretty neat man pretty inside little inside baseball kind of thing
1: yeah we it's amazing how we can reach out to people and ask him to be on the show. And they say, okay. Yeah. And they say, yeah, sure. When you want to do it? <laughs> sure.
0: Pretty neat, man. That
1: blows my mind. I love it. Yeah. And then we get some that you never hear nothing back. Right.
0: Ghost. Yeah. Or well, they go, yeah, we want to do it. Then you go, okay, well, let's call me now. <laughs> Tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> yeah. Crickets are louder.
1: Yeah, but I get people have lives and stuff. You know, That's right. Yeah. But on this episode of the Crack House Chronicles, Dale... We have a special guest.
0: Yes, can't wait.
1: Yeah, we have Seton Tucker from Impact of Influence, Mm -hmm. the Murdoch murders.
0: Yeah, she was the insider, she was right there during the whole thing.
1: Yeah, she was in the courtroom down there in Walterboro. She got to meet a lot of the media people, people from court TV, right? A lot of the other highfalutin people,
0: and they've done an incredible job following this story. They've got over 120 episodes just on this. Yes. So it's a pretty deep dive they did. So it's really neat to get inside information. Yeah. I think.
1: And we wanted to get her on the show and talk about the Murdoch case a little bit and then their podcast and what they got
0: going on. Right. So you reached out and guess what? She said yes. She said yes. Man, that's just great. It is awesome.
1: It is awesome. (laughs) But anyway, we want to welcome Seton Tucker to the show, Dale. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
1: We are so happy to have you on. We just were just curious to find out about a little bit more about impact of influence and what got you guys into this and, and some more stuff about your podcast and a little bit and talk a little bit some Murdoch stuff too, but what got you into podcasting?
2: Well, I have was actually a stay-at-home mom for about 16-17 years. And I started following the story after the Mallory Beach boating accident. I grew up in Hilton Head and I saw pleas on Facebook that she would be found safely and unfortunately she wasn't. She died in a boating crash. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the story. Oh yeah. And that was kind of the cat for the attention being brought on to the Murdoch family. And I just started reading everything I could find on it. I would join these groups and a crime groups and just started reading everything and then I ended up seeing the Murdoch family at a South Carolina football game oh, wow. and they they have hair, so they're really recognizable and my daughter knew of my obsession with the story and she grabbed my arm and said mom don't say anything <laughs> um, so I the story and I wanted to do a podcast but I was scared to do it not for my physical safety or anything like that but just because they're a family of lawyers and I really just didn't want to get sued so that was kind of my and and also I didn't really know how to do a podcast there was that too so the week that Maggie and Paul were murdered I was having dinner with Matt's wife Amy Harris we met at Starbucks and that was, that was it so it was released i think the next week after they were murdered
1: wow so how did you and matt harris get hooked up on the right. i mean as far as i mean you had uh friends with his wife but uh, how did how did matt want to get involved with this was he interested in it also
2: he has i didn't know this ahead of time and i knew his wife better than i knew matt um but he has always been interested in true crime but he did not know this particular story
1: So, uh, you didn't have any background in journalism at all. And so you just jumped into this feet first and, and started with it.
2: Oh yeah. Which was actually, it's been a really fun learning process, a little bit intimidating. I, I was there for most days of the six week murder trial and I did get a media pass and I felt a little bit out of my league at times because I have, you know, there's the Dateline people, the HBO people. reporter from the Wall Street Journal and uh, you know, all it it was a little bit intimidating. I did feel that I had imposter syndrome at times, but really fun and kind of a once in a lifetime experience to meet all these really accomplished people. It was really it was a it was kind of a I mean we're there for obviously a really sad thing, a murder trial. Yeah. But it was
0: It's still a hell of a rush, right?
2: Yeah, it really it really was. I I start going to murder trials because i really love the legal end of it and watching how that all plays out
1: yeah so when you were down in hampton and talking to the local townspeople there what were their impact or what were they saying about all the media circus involved down there what were they saying
2: well it, it, what the hearing was actually in Walterboro, which is in colleton county not hampton county okay but that that Islandton, where Maggie and Paul were murdered, is is in uh, is in Colleton County. So that's where the hearing was held. But the people of Walterboro were so gracious. The clerk of court, Becky Hill, was just so nice. I got to know some locals, and I will say, when we were waiting for the verdict to come in, Matt and I, it was it was a long day, and we recorded an episode, and we had gone a, Grab a beer, actually, while we were waiting to see if the verdict will come in, and we were sitting in this pub, and we heard, and we we ran, and we left our telephones because you couldn't have a phone in the courthouse. Yeah, and so we left our phones with some locals that were there, and went to go hear the verdict, and came back, and people of the town were actually seemed like they were very happy with the outcome of the hearing that the guilty verdict came in and I spoke with some other people that it seemed to be, a lot of people felt that way, but Michael DeWitt, who is a Hampton native, he works for the Hampton Guardian, and he said he, he feels like the community is somewhat divided. But the pe- but back to your question, the media circus, they handled it well. There were food trucks, they, they were champs. They were, people were nice and I'm sure it was had to be a little different from them. You know, maybe some people weren't happy with everyone coming to their town from everywhere, but they didn't show it if they were annoyed.
1: So when, what was it like, you know, being in the courtroom with, with all that? Was there any pressure on you to to pay attention and hoping you wouldn't make a sound while you were in there? I mean, I'm, I'm, I know uh, Judge Newman was really controlling his courtroom, but what was your feelings while you were in the courtroom?
0: You
2: know, it, it was interesting because I was on the back row. Of, they had CD, seating reserved for media. I was on that back row. That's where all like the podcasters and the YouTubers, all the we were kind of the D-list of, the, of, the, of the, yeah. the media, the people who were, you know, Wall Street Journal and all those people, they had a little bit better seating than we did. So I actually had people who were just from the general public right behind me. And there were several times that the judge had to admonish the gallery and say, because they would, they would, he would make a ruling or say something, or you know, one of the attorneys would say something, and they'd go, "Ooh, wow!" Ah. You know, people were. I would say there was a lot of bias towards Murdoch going in. There was a there was a period of time that I think the judge told Jim Griffin, who was Alec Murdoch's attorney, to sit down and and, you know, people were almost cheering. It was a little bit weird, and the judge had to say, because I truly believe as a as a as just a general member of the public attending this, you're supposed to be respectful. You're not supposed to influence the jury in any way. And that was – I personally had a little bit of a problem with that at times. But, I mean, most people were respectful. Just at times people were a little bit – making noises and I myself was not. I would say there were a few days that it was really dry testimony when you're going through experts and you're hearing it like that at times was maybe you would feel a little, it was hard to pay attention. Maybe I would start doodling a little bit, but it was so cold in the courtroom. It was not
0: possible that you would (laughs) fall (laughs) asleep.
1: Yeah. that was stuff like that. They didn't show on court TV or anything. Was there any, drama down there on the streets you know you they would televise some stuff of people hickling um alec murdoch when he would come out of the courtroom or the courthouse but was there any other kind of drama going on down there folks hollering and
2: there were some people who i did i did not personally witness this but i saw it on an interview or on on one of the news networks of people yelling at buster and a you know, saying, Buster, you're next. I mean, and apparently after this, one of the members of, I think the man who was yelling at him actually went to Buster's house and opened wow. it and and peeked in his windows and they had to file a police report. Another interesting thing that I actually did witness, I was parked on the main street in Walshboro and elec murdoch was coming out and that he was kind of behind some fencing so you couldn't really see him but you see him kind of getting in the car and there were some young ladies i would say probably late teens early 20s and they were yelling like Alec murdoch's gonna buy the house when we when we get out of here or a car it was it was bizarre but i mean i think they were just obviously they were just kidding but it was weird
1: yeah the days that you were sitting in the courtroom, did you ever go back and watch the televised versions of the days you were in there, and and watch how you know Alex's uh, demeanor and how he would like play to the court? Because there were some days, you know, he would be in tears, and other days he would just look like he wasn't doing much of anything. I didn't know if you would go back and watch those days or not.
2: I would take I would go in for part of the day and then I would watch some of the day on long crime or court TV just so I could see because when you're in the gallery you only see the back of the head yeah and you could see nodding and that sort of thing but you couldn't really see his expressions but what you could see in the courtroom is you could see how the jurors were reacting to different testimony so I most of the time I was in the courtroom because I felt like that was where I was really developing the Getting the most you know, sense of really how it was going down. But Matt also because he was working, so he didn't he was not able to go as many of the days as I could. So he was watching on television. Mm -hmm. So we kinda had one of us one of us would be in the courtroom and one of us would be watching and we I think having both of us there together, we could really have a full picture.
1: Yeah. What was some of the jurors reactions in the courtroom? Were they pretty much paying attention all the time or were they, did it ever look like they were maybe drifting off or not paying attention? Did you could tell?
2: I would say I was very impressed with how they were paying attention. Um, there was one jar here. She was the last alternate. We called her blanket lady because again, I, I actually brought a little shawl because it was so cold that I don't really blame her, but she would have a blanket. Sometimes she would put it over her head. Um, but she seemed to be paying more attention to the people in the gallery, especially the media, I would say than she was paying attention, looking at the witness testifying. But I would say, I thought, I thought that the jurors did a really good job paying attention. And sometimes you could tell maybe they were kind of annoyed at, at times by some of the testimony.
1: Yeah. You guys, you interviewed a lot of people on your show when the Murdoch trial was going on and and the, the height of all this, who was, um, some of your favorite interviews you had?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, we've, we've had, uh, I can't even count. We've had probably 30 or more guests, probably more on our, on our podcast, everything from a nine one one dispatcher to a local corner from in South Carolina. Uh, Probably, I think, our biggest accomplishments at the end of the trial is we were able to interview Creighton Waters, who was the lead prosecutor, and then we also were able to interview Jim Griffin, who was one of the two main attorneys for Alec Murdoch, mm-hmm. and gave a closing. So, I think because we've really tried to be balanced throughout this whole process and not just um, – not just say, hooray, he's guilty, he's guilty. I think we were able to talk to a lot of people and present all the information. And, I mean, I'm proud of all the people of the interviews. Actually, this week, we had an author who wrote a book because Alec Murdoch has been receiving uh, communications in jail, some kind of romantic communications. One lady has professed his love. And I guess this is a thing. Women communicate with, with convicted killers for many different reasons. But we had an author who's... Written two books on women who go for men who are convicted of murder. So we really we've had great guests.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there anybody that you would have liked to have interviewed, or you want to interview that you didn't get to?
2: You know, uh, I, we really had because Jim Griffin didn't get a lot of interviews. So when we got that one, we were pretty yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, because not many people have gotten him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of who it feels like, you know, sometimes I know y'all have probably encountered this as well. Sometimes you, you know, you get shot down, you request an interview and you get shot down and I just try to put it out of my mind. I try not to let it get me down. I'm like, oh, well, there's maybe a reason that they didn't want to interview. You know what I would say? A person that I really wanted to interview that never worked out was Sandy Smith. I really did want to interview her and that never worked out.
1: Mm mm-hmm. So what was some of the, the locals saying about the the verdict? You said some of them were discussing it afterwards. Some of them were glad and some of them were sad. What was the general thing?
2: In Walterboro? what I observed were people were glad. People were, that seemed to be the consensus. But then just reading up with what some of what, what, um, what Michael DeWitt said in his articles is, and talking to him personally during the trial is he feels like the community is still pretty divided. You know, I would say I was sad listening to it because it's really hard for most people to wrap their head around a father who would murder their, their wife and child, especially yeah. their child.
0: Yes.
1: What do you think about the ripple effect in this community. I mean, this, this Murdoch family, I mean, they controlled the legal part of this community. Yeah. Community for hundreds of years. I mean, what's the ripple effect, you know, in the future of this going, you know, going forward. Do you think, you know,
2: um, I think there's a lot of spotlight. I mean, I don't know if y'all follow South Carolina stuff at all, but this week there was, a, a. Murderer who didn't, who was serving his time out in New Mexico, but he, he, I guess there was some sort of backdoor deal where he got out early and they took it to the Supreme Court yesterday and they said, no, that was not done properly. He's got to go back to jail. And I think because of all these things, and I've been told by lawyers around the state that there is a lot more scrutiny on what they're doing. And there's not, I don't think these backdoor deals are going to be something that can happen in the future so it's a i mean that's a good thing i don't know how hampton county recovers from this um that was we did do a whole episode with michael dewitt and we we talked a little bit about it and you know i think it's i think it's going to take time for the community and i think also one thing which i wholeheartedly disagree with is portrayal by some that everybody in Hampton County was either too scared or too dumb or too complicit or in cahoots with the Murdoch family and I don't think that's the case at all I think everyone was especially with this financial crimes I mean I think there's some people who were somehow involved and I think there's some drug stuff that's gonna come to light but I don't think um, I don't think the general resident of Hampton County was involved in this in any way or complicit in any way
0: mm-hmm. hmm. if, if you were on the jury what would you which way would you have went
2: oh I never give you that opinion I I, cause I, uh, I don't know right. I, I listen to it but I you know it's funny because all along people have asked me what do you think what do you think and, I, and I, what I have said and I went into the trial actually with I said, I'm going to listen to this trial as if I was a juror. And I'm going to say, everything I have heard about all of this and listen to it, which was actually really interesting because some things that had been reported were completely, didn't seem to be true in any way. And so I listened to it all. And I, you know, people have asked me that, friends. And I always say it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the people who sat on that jury thought. Exactly. Uh, so I just don't, at the same way, I don't ask, are you my political views? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just
0: right, right, right.
1: Yeah, there's just so many unanswered questions about this whole case. You know, where are the guns? Where's the clothes he had on? You know, there's just so many unanswered questions that we didn't, the public didn't learn about. I, I,
2: I did feel that way myself, that there are so many unanswered questions. I think a big question in my mind was, was there a second person? You know, it seemed that obviously he was there around the time his wife and child were shot, you know, did it or didn't do it. And that doesn't mean... But I I do have personal questions about whether there was somebody involved, especially in the cleanup, because the clothes and the gun and where these things are. I mean, that is definitely, I think, a big question on a lot of people's minds.
0: Yeah, right, especially with the time crunch. yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we didn't see, when we watched the GPS records from the car, he didn't stop along the way to dispose of anything. If he did anything, he threw him out a window. and uh, you know, Or he disposed of him somewhere on the Almeida property. Right. But then the property at Almeida was not searched for months later. So, you know, whether during that time, whether they were there and then they were taken somewhere else. I, again, these are questions I have and I think a lot of other people have as
0: well.
1: Yeah, I'm like you, though. I went into it is you know, being very open minded and tried to listen to the evidence and what I would do if I was on the jury. But, you know, going into this, the the Kennel video to me put him there. I mean it was that was pretty if I think that was what what sealed his fate right there. There
0: wasn't no way around that one. I,
2: I completely agree. And it was it was the Kennel video and also Lying about the kennel video.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I, mean, I think you know if he had been upfront if he and said told about this kennel video and I don't know what happened after I left I was at the kennels with him and then I left to go check on my mom and something happened but I think that was to me the turning point of the trial.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, truthfully, that's really all they had as far as direct evidence to me, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. Cause I mean, we don't have clothing. We don't have a gun. Yeah, We heard a lot about this white t-shirt that we saw Oak wearing in the dash can videos, uh, from law enforcement who arrived after the murders. And, you know, at first it looked like maybe that had some sort of spider that was never, that was never introduced into evidence. And that was actually presented into, uh, presented to the grand jury as, as evidence. Um, but I think then further testing revealed that they couldn't, I guess they're saying it wasn't human blood. So again, there are a lot of questions and, but then we also saw the video from earlier in the day that he was wearing different clothing than what he was seen wearing on the dash cam video. This was the video where we see Paul riding around on an ATV with his dad around the property. Mm-hmm. And, wearing different clothing and he couldn't account for this clothing. We don't know where this clothing was, but they didn't ask for the clothing until, you know, over a year later. So uh, that was, that to me was, you could, you could view it one way or another way. Maybe he, you know, you know where clothing was, or you would think he would try to come up with that clothing.
1: Yeah. Were you there the day of the, the bomb threat?
2: Yes, I was there. That was that was that was actually kind of crazy. The bomb threat—you you could tell something was going on because you, you heard the officers who were in the courtroom kind of their walkie-talkies kind of going off, and you didn't hear that other comps. You did—you never hear that. And so it was kind of like, what's going on here? Something seems weird. And then they—the jury had just come back from a, a break. Judge Newman liked to take kind of a later lunch hour. So the jury had just come back, and then all of a sudden Judge Newman stands up and he says the jury needs to go to the jury room. They go, and as soon as they get out, then he tells everybody else there's a bomb threat, we need to evacuate. And people were actually really pretty calm during the evacuation, which was surprising. The family, I think, left. They were, they were ushered out first, but they opened up the courtroom. You go in on the bottom floor, but it, it's on the second story. And so there's these big doors, but that's not how you enter. They actually opened those big doors up so that everyone could exit through the big doors.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that was – that was. and then I ended up um, – because we didn't know. They had to sweep the whole building, and they did do another session in the afternoon, but I ended up – I'd been home for a few days. I was like, I'm just going to go home and, you know, who knows if they'll go back. So I listened to it on, I listened to it in my car on the way home. I didn't see it. I just listened to it. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and I stopped at Waffle House on my way out <laughs> and I, saw, ran into, I ran into a, uh, officer and I asked her, I said, do you know, you know what, you know, cause they just told us we I actually I don't think they told us it was a bomb threat. I think they just said we need to leave, and I, I asked her if she knew what was going on, and she said, oh, bomb threat, but we expected that.
0: Mm. Wow. <laughs>
2: and then, right, did you hear where they traced the bomb threat?
1: No, where did they trace it to? Do tell.
2: It was an inmate in jail. who made the call from jail. Wow. Yeah, that was kind of crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. You said click, call from so-and-so, this is a bomb threat. <laughs>
2: I think the person had maybe the person had a um like a phone that had somehow gotten in I I, I can't remember the exact details but it, it it wasn't actually it came from the person who was incarcerated wow
1: how was uh, judge Newman what was his uh, demeanor like was he you know we, we saw him on TV and stuff but he seemed like he was just a well-rounded guy
2: he's so calming he would do these uh, stand breaks which I think everyone loved, but when I want to incorporate them just into my general life, it's like okay, everyone, let's have a stand break. <laughs> so we would have a stand break, and I saw him at lunch several days. We had really nice weather a couple of days, and he would be walking. He would walk around the block. Now he had security with him as he walked around the block. I got a really super cool picture of him walking around the block while we were in Baltimore. But he was just a really peaceful presence and this was actually really surprising because I don't know if many people knew his son passed away unexpectedly I, I not many maybe a month before the trial started
1: yeah, it was just weeks yeah 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 that was that was pretty impactful his uh, statement to Alec Murdoch you know before his sentence and that was pretty powerful because I could I could feel Judge Newman reflecting on his son during that statement. That was just pretty powerful to me.
2: Oh yeah. He, and he, I think he, he was so nice. To, he was very, it's almost like a father figure to the jury members. He was really like, y'all are doing this as your service. You're doing a great job. And he was proud of the verdict that they came back with. He obviously felt like that was the right verdict. And to them i did speak with an attorney friend it's unusual for a judge to address the jury in that manner and tell them that they got the right verdict but he did so i think that was again i I can't i think you uniformly everyone thinks that judge newman is a great guy
1: yeah so what's the next for impact of influence i know you guys are sort of I know you're still focusing on some Murdoch stuff and you'll probably keep doing some stuff on the Murdoch case, but what's, uh, what's what else is going on with Impact of Influence?
2: Well, we actually just released season two. We are still going to put Murdoch stuff at, the, at season one as it comes out. We had an episode this week and there are, there are with the financial crimes, I think it will be really interesting to see where this money trail goes because that has been my biggest question. Where are these, you know, nine million dollars, where is it gone? Yeah, it just um, it it says it's going to this drug addiction. I feel like maybe there are some other, uh, I I'm just really curious to see if, if that is in fact true, that is crazy. But I think that there's, we're going to see some other things and I, I'm interested in that. But we actually just started a new case. We are talking about Shancillo Robinson Good. and she is, do you know, are you familiar with her
1: case? We actually covered her last week on our show.
2: Ah, awesome. Well, we just, we interviewed her dad a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I listened, we, I, we
0: listened to it, yeah. Yeah, man, that was hard to listen to. Yeah. Very
2: emotional. Really and so we are going to do another episode, continuing the story about the video, and then we're, we have a, Pathologist coming on Friday to talk to us about these different uh, autopsies. So we're, you know, we're, we're focusing on that, but also continuing with the Murdoch.
1: Okay. Very good. So y'all are going to uh, continue with a deep dive on Shanquilla and We are. Okay. That's good because that girl and her family they need, they need some justice. Bad. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Uh, heartbreaking. It, I mean, you know, with the Murdoch story we never interviewed we tried our best oh that's when you asked me who i would really like to get i really tried to get a friend of maggie's cuz we heard very little about maggie right um, didn't really get anyone close to her to talk to us yeah. and I, I, I believe me i tried um but so we didn't have any interviews like mr robinson and that was so difficult because we talked to a lot of lawyers and people who are experts in fields, but to talk to an actual family member who is going through this heartbreak was really difficult.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, Seaton, we really appreciate you coming on here and and giving us your time and telling us a little bit about your podcast and some of the Murdoch stuff
0: and the insights you had. Yeah. Yeah. Very neat.
1: Very awesome.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, and I can't wait to uh, listen to some of you. I'm going to listen to your Shanquilla episode when I get off.
1: Yeah, we uh, we don't do an in-depth dive on anything like you guys. We just sort of do a different case every week and sometimes a two-parter occasionally, but we just...
0: Uh, and usually we won't do anything as new as this, but we just thought we had to do something because it's just ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it
2: needs, it needs attention for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I even mentioned in the thing where it's like, you know, they put Murdoch under the under the jail and only didn't have hardly anything on him. And they got a video of this going on and nobody's doing anything.
2: It's 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 crazy. I know it's yeah. it's just heartbreaking.
0: Very much so. Yeah.
2: Well, it has been a pleasure. I enjoyed it, guys.
0: Well, well thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Satan. Have a good night. All
2: right. You
1: too. Bye bye.
0: Really want to thank her again for coming on pretty neat
1: being a trooper and joining our little podcast for a little conversation right about some stuff it's just it's fun stuff
0: i like it man yeah i do too yeah every week don't have to be guts and gore
1: no No, we got nothing wrong with that no but we do have some stuff coming up
0: oh yeah we got plenty of guts and gore coming yeah yeah
1: (laughs) electricity and everything else
0: yeah
1: anyway (laughs) uh, all right dale we're gonna get out here. all right let's
0: roll man it was a good show
1: yeah we want everyone to be safe just Please be careful out there and always be aware of your surroundings.
0: Because the next episode could be about you.
1: This is the the Crack Crack House House Chronicles.